I'm Dr. Reggie Eady, President and CEO of Trinity Health of New England. If you recently had to postpone doctor's visits, surgeries, screenings, or other exams, now's the time for you to get back on track. After all, nothing's more important than your health. That's why Trinity Health of New England has taken extra safety precautions to provide the care you and your family need. We have COVID-free zones for patients receiving non-COVID-related care. We conduct mandatory screening of all patients, colleagues, and visitors entering our facilities. We test all patients for COVID-19 prior to scheduled procedures that require an overnight stay. We provide masks for patients and colleagues and our limiting visitors. We follow CDC standards with increased frequency of cleaning. And of course, we're continuing social distancing. So return to health and let Trinity Health of New England care for you. And remember, we are all in this together. Visit trinityhealthofne.org. Hello, everyone. This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England. Welcome to another edition of Medically Speaking. And we are medically speaking tonight with someone incredibly special that I'm very honored to have. We have our hospital president and CEO of Trinity Health of New England, Dr. Reginald Eady. Um, we are going to again be focusing on what we're thinking of as we move forward in our medical profession for growth, what it looks like now beyond COVID and what our services look like beyond COVID. Um, prior to um, me joining you, um, you just heard a commercial and that commercial was a public service announcement by Dr. Edie talking about the ramping up of services. So we are going to jump right into that and focus on what we are doing as a regional institution, how we are providing services for the safety of our patients and our physicians and all of the community. So I would like to welcome Dr. Reginald Eady, my ultimate boss. <laughs> Hi, Robin. How are you? Excellent. We, ha we have things on a selfie stick today because we're trying to maintain our social distancing. Um, I also want to let everyone know we are taping today's show, so you will not be able to call in. But if you have questions, as always, all you really need to do um, is email me at robin.sills at trinityhealthofne.org, and I will be able to direct your questions to our leadership and get answers right back to you. So again, Dr. Edie, thank you so much. It is a pleasure, Robin. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So joining me um, today, we, we talked a little bit yesterday, and... We sent communication out to our colleagues, and as described in the um, public service announcement prior to uh, the program today, you talk a lot about what we're doing now to bring services back. So can we talk a little bit about the communication that you sent out to our colleagues and maybe what we're doing now? Absolutely. So it's important uh, as a faith-based, mission-driven organization that we continue to, under all circumstances, deliver the mission that the sisters sort of tasked us with as they started this whole journey of Catholic health over 100 years ago. And so in the midst of the pandemic, we found ourselves, while we were doing a great job taking care of those who had been impacted by the COVID-19, um, there were a number of people in the community who, all of a sudden, uh, the care that we were providing just ceased. And so understanding the impact that the pandemic has had on communities, we felt it was very important for us to one, announce to the community and our colleagues and clinicians that we are resuming care. That is, we're going to put back on schedule uh, any procedures or any type of care that had been postponed or canceled. 
uh, because of the pandemic. And so we essentially began to describe what our operations will look like at Trinity Health of New England. Uh, we're excited to be able to announce that we're going to have COVID-free zones, and these are essentially areas where we provide care for only people. Sorry, we provide care only for people not known to have COVID-19 or don't currently have or express any COVID symptoms. And we th thought that would be very important, Robin, because if you think about some of the marketing that has taken place from the healthcare space uh, and from businesses across the country, the message really was stay at home, regardless if you, uh, I think the interpretation was have chest pain, shortness of breath, leg swelling, um, or even COVID-19, don't come into the hospital. And while I think we had, that was the right thing to do, um, now it's time to sort of create a different narrative and let people know that we're here for them as we always have been as a Catholic healthcare system. So it feels like we're changing the climate and the culture again. So we're reintroducing services to our patients and expressing the safety behind that so they feel comfortable. I, you know, it's funny, but I know we talked about this, but even going to the grocery store, they're taking your temperatures and we seem to be okay with going in and out of there. I think the hospital's safer because we're taking those steps that a grocery store wouldn't normally do. They're following CDC guidelines, but they're definitely not following the same thing that we're following and what we're creating in these COVID-free zones. You're absolutely right, I, I, and I say that all the time. So it's, it's music to the ear for, for, for you to have that same impression. I mean, the safest place to be right now is, in fact, uh, the hospitals. Well, I, let, me, let me say it this way. The safest place to be in New England, I know for sure, is at a Trinity Health of New England facility because we are following, as you indicated, all CDC guidelines. We have expert men and women on our team that know how to prevent the spread of not just COVID, but other diseases. And that's evident by our quality scores, because remember bacteria and viruses uh, had, had been in, in place or existed prior to this COVID-19. And so we, because as we exited the flu season, we know we had colleagues who had the flu, um, but we were, we were able to not spread that or any other viruses or bacteria to the patients. Uh, and so we're, with this extra precaution that we're taking in this COVID-19 era, um, again, it's very safe for people to come to the hospital, but how do we create the message that, that, um, that we have a safe environment and people should feel comfortable coming to our hospital is our challenge. You know, as a consumer of healthcare also, and also being a nurse, I'm very aware of safety measures that you've put into place, but of course what I know based on my medical background and I feel comfortable going into any one of our facilities. For me, myself, just going to get healthcare in the last couple of weeks, I've been able to access our different offices within our Trinity Health of New England Medical Group, myself and my husband, as, as well as my mother, going to our wound center um, locally at St. Mary's. And it felt, and she's an elderly woman and compromised, felt incredibly safe. In, in doing what we did over the last several weeks, knowing what Trinity has put into place. So if I feel comfortable, any any consumer should feel comfortable. Yeah, and you know, for the listeners, they probably don't know this, but we actually added this year a new core value as a Trinity Health. Uh, and safety is that new core value. So, I mean, that's exactly who we are. It's a part of everything that we do, and it's a part of uh, the mission critical activities that we deliver. So yes, it's good to hear that we that you know it's working and that our, our evidence 
via our quality scores show that we do a very good job. Um, now it's time for us to continue to partner to expand beyond your mother mm -hmm. uh, and my family and others that it's this is a very safe environment and we should resume activities as normal. Th they should also take comfort in knowing that we would not continue services to any degree and, and we look at this every single day if we could not maintain a safe environment. So what that means is, you know, one, we're going to continue to have restricted visitors. Um, however, we do have exceptions for uh, companion or compassionate care, like your grandmother may need, uh, your, sorry, your mother may had, need to have someone accompany her, so we take all that under considerations. Uh, we, will, we will maintain uh, some other things that we put in place in addition to our current restrictions uh, to ensure, again, that we create a safe environment and an environment that people feel comfortable uh, feel comfortable in entering once they learn more about what we're doing. So as we're going back into providing services, um, one of the services that we're looking to grow, of course, is our surgeries, because those surgeries have been put on the back burner for such a long time, and mostly the elective surgeries. Of course, we've done the other surgeries that have needed to, got, to get done. So now patients need to get testing. Before, the, before that. Can we talk a little bit about testing for those patients coming in for surgeries? Absolutely, so I think it's important for your li listeners to, to understand the difference between us and some of the other healthcare systems in New England. So most healthcare systems in, in New England will advertise that they are gonna be doing testing prior to a procedure, but they're due it 48 hours prior to the procedure. And, and so we are different because we're doing it the day before the procedure. And while that may be a bit of an inconvenience to both the community and the surgeons, we think it's the right thing to do. Because again, uh, it's mission critical uh, for us around safety that we, we offer an environment that's conducive to great outcomes. So any patient who comes to Trinity Health of New England uh, and is gonna have a procedure done and they have to stay overnight they have to have a test done within a 24-hour period or the day prior is the easiest way to describe that. That will ensure um, that, that just like a nursing home and how the virus somehow seems to get into the nursing home, because we are calling these COVID-free zones, we, we take the responsibility to make sure that you've had that test pr prior to arrive. And we do the same thing. Uh, we, we use the same scrutiny around our colleagues, um, the ones that the community will be interacting with. The reason why we chose 24 hours versus 48 is because, I mean, studies show all the time that people, uh, first, uh, there's a false negativity rate that we should consider, and that's as high as 30% in some of these tests. So even if you have a negative test, uh, you could still be positive. So that's one thing we, we consider. But And two, uh, a lot can happen in that extra 24 hours, right? So someone can be exposed to the virus uh, 48 hours prior to a procedure, uh, and then have the virus, and as the literature suggests, you can spread the virus the first 48 hours even before you get symptoms. So we thought that you know doing it the day before will ensure that we've done the best we could to create a COVID-free zone. So it's so important for the patients to hear that. It's, it's so concerning for patients. I want to make sure that they're safe and we know our staff is safe so that we're providing the services for that patient in the best possible climate that we know. Um, knowing that and knowing that the patients need to be tested, what um, is our protocol if a patient is positive? Yeah, so if a patient is positive, then that automatically disqualifies the patient for coming into our COVID-free zone. 
Um, that does not mean that the surgery won't be done, though. Right. And so, so we have to go back to the drawing board. And this is not a new phenomenon. So, for example, if a hypothetical patient, let's call her Mrs. Jones, and Mrs. Jones needed a procedure done uh, and the pre-procedure screening uh, took place, and let's say Mrs. Jones was found to have a urinary tract infection prior to the surgery, okay. then they will go back to the drawing board, the surgeon, the surgical team, and Mrs. Jones, and say, well, we need to take care of this first before we, because it's an increased risk before we bring you in and have the surgery. That's all we'll be doing. Right. So if someone's positive, we're gonna, we're gonna sort of go back to the drawing board as a surgical team and the patient and family and decide what the next best course is. Now, if Mrs. Jones needs to have that surgery and it's classified as urgent or emergent, then we, as you indicated earlier, we've never stopped those and Mrs. Jones can have that surgery and we're comfortable it, it will happen in a very safe environment. We, we talked a bit yesterday, and I think it's probably important to bring up to the community when we do this testing, how important it is to have it within the Trinity Health of New England system if you are having your surgery with us because we have an electronic health record that all the information is in. And it's so important to ensure that our surgeons that are performing your surgery have access to that right away. If it's an outside facility they're getting their testing in, we may not get that result quick enough. That's right. So what we have done here at Trinity Health in New England is committed a fast turnaround for those who uh, need to have a procedure done. So, yeah, to your point, which is a great point uh, to share with the community, is that if you're having a, your care uh, at a Trinity Health New England facility, then it's best that you have your test there as well. Now, um, that is not to suggest, however, um, that if you aren't getting, you, you're, you're not in line for a procedure, that you can't come and have a test here because we are opening our testing uh, to all ages. Um, we don't require a prescription, unlike many of the other testing centers across New England. Um, and we, we try to make it as convenient uh, for the community as possible. So just show up. We've got drive-through opportunities or offerings in Waterbury, in Hartford, uh, in Stafford Springs, and in Springfield. So people who don't have a car because access could be an issue. Uh, we, we also take walk-ups at our drive-through testing centers. Uh, and um, as it relates to access, some people can't get to a doctor to get a prescription. So again, we're not requiring a prescription. We will test the entire family, independent of them having a procedure or needing a procedure at a Trinity Health New England facility. We talked about ramping up the services and bringing these surgeries back, but very much like the state opening up on the 20th, we're kind of testing the waters and going a bit slow, right? Yes, right. To be safe. And so what are some of the safety precautions maybe we can update the community on and, the, and turning around the rooms and the, the difference of what that's going to look like and why we're, we're going a little bit slower? Yeah, so, so what we're doing is, we're, we're, you're right, we're phasing back into uh, to our pre-COVID era. Um, so we're, we're, we're strategically choosing the staff. We're strategically deciding upon what procedures to do. And it's amazing as, as I uh, look at the communication emails between some, some of our world-renowned surgeons. I mean, they are doing the best they can to make sure that they're bringing the right uh, surgical cases back at the right time. Um, we are following uh, the CDC guidelines of increased frequency of cleaning and special attention to surfaces that are frequently touched like doorknobs and flat surfaces. Uh, I would venture to say we're going above and beyond uh, what the CDC is recommending. I mean, that's who we are, right? And again, because safety is one of our core values, uh, we take the guidelines and we make them Trinity Health of New England friendly, which usually means uh, because we, can't, we have to comply with those guidelines. It usually means in most cases that we go above and beyond 
what the general expectation would be. It's so important for the community to know that because I think it's really, it's scary, right? It's scary. It's scary. We're not sure people even wanting to go back and have their hair cuts and, and, and their nails done and all those things. And surgery is a much bigger process and a much bigger step. I can tell you just working with the community physicians, they're chomping at the bit to get back to work. It's kind of like the baseball players. And that's what I equate. I tell my orthopedic surgeons this all the time. You guys are like baseball players. You guys are dying to get back to work. You want to get back and play your game and do and do what you need to do, but we have to do it safely. Right. So, you know, we're, we're moving a bit slower. I, you know, a question that comes to mind is I'm thinking about our orthopedic surgeons. A lot of patients go to extended care facilities after, but I know that there's a lot of conversation. We're discharging patients directly from the hospital to home. We have this hospital home program. So maybe we could just quickly talk about Trinity Health of New England, our, our home care that's growing and the services we're going to be able to be providing within our region. That's going to help with that. Yeah, you know, one of the things about um, the orthopedic offerings that we have at Trinity Health of New England, we have superb, we have superb uh, surgeons. And in fact, you know, the, the group here has been recognized as in the, one of the top 10 programs in the country. So with that comes along the opportunity for people to not have extended rehabilitation or need extended rehabilitation. I mean, we have p patients who start their rehab and right after surgery, I mean, literally before they leave um, the, the building, uh, they're starting rehab, and it, it allows them to go home. And so that comes along with the high quality and safe care that we provide. That's why we're called a center of excellence. Um, but the good thing is, uh, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, um, we, we eliminate the, 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 the opportunity for people to have to go into a high-risk environment, like a post-acute setting. They can instead go home and start their rehab there. And because of our virtual care offerings um, and our home health care network, um, it will be just as good as them going to a rehab facility after discharge, right? So they, we have the ability to have someone come into your home. Uh, and, of course, our surgeons can interact with the community postoperatively uh, from our virtual health offerings. So that opens up the door for us to talk about virtual health and our telehealth medicine. But to a point regarding um, the therapies after a surgery like that and virtual, I was connecting with some of our local um, PT and OT are, are, are within Trinity Health of New England, and they were telling me about the virtual visits they're doing. And they're not perfect, but they've been able to do them. So using the telehealth medicine, we've been able to open up a very new door for medicine. So, you know, let's take what we've just talked about and now talk about what it looks like moving forward and what we've been doing during the pandemic with telehealth and what we think we can do moving forward with that since you opened up that door. <laughs> Absolutely. So interesting you said they're not perfect. And you're right, they're not perfect, but I like to describe them as being pandemic perfect. Mm. And then the, the reality of it all is while they not, this way of providing health care to the community may not seem to be perfect, meaning it, it simply is just because it's different. I think it's the, the way we're going to move toward uh, providing care to communities uh, for the foreseen near future or permanently. Mm -hmm. And here's why I say that. So if you think about, uh, if you think about um, the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and you think about things like uh, the Spanish flu, which was very similar to this, um, you think about where healthcare was during that particular time with the Great Depression, which you know our numbers are starting to look like we're headed toward the, another Great Depression. Um, what happened there in healthcare during those times is very interesting. That's when the physicians started 
visiting the home with the black bag. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, you know, back to the future kind of thing. So we're going back to the future. I mean, the new way of healthcare and Trinity Health New England will be leading this transition uh, in the state and the state of Connecticut and Southwest Massachusetts is um, you, back to the future will equal the provider, the surgeon, the doctor coming to you. Now, he or she will not be knocking on your door with a black bag, but instead, uh, we will be using technology to, to have conversation, to do follow-up visits, uh, but both pre- and post-surgery conversations uh, via technology. So that's this whole virtual care phenomenon that we're, we're introducing to the community. Um, and so virtual care uh, is not, this telemedicine opportunity is not new, certainly not novel, but it really wasn't grasped by the communities or the clinicians. This pandemic, if there is a silver lining in it, it showed us how we can leverage technology and be and create a, a satisfying experience for both the clinician and the community. And so imagine moving forward, if you will, um, you not having to leave your workplace or your home for, for your annual checkup. You simply would either fire up your, your, uh, your smartphone or your laptop computer. Um, and at work, which is great for me, I don't have to not have a uh, cancel a meeting, get in the car and drive you know, an ungodly number of miles to see a physician. I can simply st literally step out of a meeting, uh, make an internet connection with my provider, and we can, we can go through most of the things that we would otherwise do after I inconvenienced myself and had to go and, and find him. So those days are over, and you know I invite uh, your listeners to have open minds and think about how during the Great Depression and the Spanish flu, and then now during this pandemic uh, and the, the challenged economy, that we will figure out a way to go back to the way things were. And millennials are mandating it, so okay. I think the rest of us non-millennials just have to catch up okay. with the new tomorrow. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had our new CMO of the medical group, uh, Dr. Manjula Chirakuri on, and she talked a lot about telemedicine. And she comes from Texas, right, I believe, and she's so passionate about it. And it was really exciting to hear her talk about the delivery of this and this new road we're going on. And in recent weeks, because of the pandemic, I've been able to connect with a lot of our primary care physicians in the greater Waterbury area for through the MGPS, and they love it. Even even my older guys who were residents when I was in nursing school, even my older guys like Dr. Longo and Dr. Gnidic, they're loving it. They're like, they feel like they have less cancellations of their patients. The patients are more open. But one thing that Dr. Longo said to me that I never thought about, he said, you know, one of the things that I love about it is I'm actually able to see the patient's environment because they're on a video chat with me. I could actually see the environment around them and maybe identify. I even say to them, show me where you're going to the bathroom. Take the camp, take the phone with you. Show me your bathroom or show me your bedroom and how you get, get especially for those more vulnerable patients. So it's pretty neat, the things and the doors it opens up that you wouldn't even realize. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great observation. I mean, so, so it, it's almost equivalent to the Back to the Future but mm -hmm. the point I was making, the provider, the physician now has access to your home. Right. And otherwise, you know, there are trip hazards that vulnerable people have to consider. There are other social and economic um, challenges that people have. And this allows us to knock on the front door, go into the home mm -hmm. and interact. And more importantly, not just with the, fam the patient, but we can interact with the entire family in the household. 
and, and even neighbors if we need to. So, you know, this is exciting. It represents a change, but I think this is going to be like some of the legacy uh, things that we saw from 9-11. I think this is going to be, uh, there's going to be some, yeah. some permanent component to some of the things that we're experiencing. For the now. better. For the better. For the better. And I know we have, you know, and if, if our audience wants to look more into telehealth, we have um, something that's right on our website, trinityhealthofnewengland.org, called Zipnosis, that they're actually able to set up a virtual visit with one of our physicians. And um, they can set up a visit, put their questions in, which is kind of cool. They, um, we prefer that they are a patient of ours, but if they're not, I've heard they've been able to navigate that and actually create a new um, patient ac activity. So if people want to know more, they should look into that. That's great. I mean, that's, that's who we are, and uh, we have the responsibility to make as seamless as possible um, an easy way for people to access health care, and this is an example of how we're doing it. We, we talked a bit yesterday, too, about, you know, as we're talking about ramping the services and bringing the services back, there is something we've seen throughout the pandemic, which is kind of an alarming number that I know that you've done some work on. It's about our ED visits and people not actually accessing care during this time. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that because I want to make patients more comfortable in coming back to our emergency rooms for care they need. Absolutely. So my leadership team and I, we would uh, we traditionally visit all of our ministries or hospitals just to, you know, sort of like the doctor going to the home. We want to see the environment. We want to we have face-to-face -face communication with frontline staff and things of that nature. So we round inside of the hospitals. And so uh, probably about 30 days into the pandemic, my team and I went to the, our Trinity Health of New England facilities. And as an ER doc, one place I always go to is the emergency department. I mean, that's the front door of, in most cases of, of, of most of our hospitals. Interestingly, um, they were empty. And these were days of the weeks where we, under, we would otherwise expect the emergency departments to be busy. And so when I got back to the office, we had conversations as a team, and we started pulling data. Um, I first looked at the state of Connecticut and saw that, uh, as a whole, the state of Connecticut was down 43% in ED visits. Mm -hmm. And so that was a head-scratcher, and quite frankly, it, was, it created a, a great deal of anxiety for me because I, my immediate question to myself was, wow, well, where are these people? Mm -hmm. um, because 43% of the people that came to our emergency departments, it's not that they didn't have to come, it's going to be a very small number um, who, who are seen in our emergency departments. And I know that based on the data and what we call the acuity. These are sick people. So because, because coronavirus didn't come and, you know, heal the arteries and heal the brains and the hearts and the kidneys and the gallbladders and the appendices, um, something ha had, some questions had to be asked and we had to get answers quickly. So we pulled data to look at five key diagnoses. And so we looked at heart attacks heart failure, stroke, uh, appendicitis, and gallbladder disease. These are five basic diseases that we see frequently in, in hospitals across the country. And here's what we learned. Heart attacks were down 47.6%. Heart failure down 51.3%. Strokes were down 43.2%. Appendicitis down 72%. And gallbladder disease down 56.4%. And so, you know, unless we can convince ourselves that people all of a sudden became more healthy or the virus came in and cleaned out arteries. Um, it led us to believe that people are at home and they're at home experiencing um, increased morbidity because they're getting sicker. 
And then some of them we would have to think or conclude are dying at home, so increased mortality. So at-home deaths is what we called it. And so, of course, in order to prove that theory to be true, uh, we'd have to get our hands on data. And when I tried to get my hands on state data, I was not able to find a recording of at-home deaths. And so we decided to then pick up the phone and call some of uh, some from funeral homes. Mm. Um, I knew that in New York, th the officials there had reported that at-home deaths had increased by over 300%. Uh, so I expected to see something like that, but we had to get access to it. And so uh, one uh, funeral home I called was uh, actually the owner's is named Howard K. Hill. So he owns the Howard K. Hill Funeral Services in Hartford, Bloomfield, and New Haven. And I asked him that question. I said, do me a favor because those percentages that I just quoted uh, were during March, were, they were a comparison between March 15th and April 15th of both 2019 and 2020. So I asked uh, Mr. Hill to pull data during that same 30-day period for at-home deaths. And he indicated to me after we did the math that um, his at-home deaths increased by 166%. So I said, okay, we're near New York, maybe there's a phenomenon there. Why don't we contact a nursing home in my, uh, my former uh, home, and that is in Michigan. So we contacted uh, the Clora funeral home, and the, uh, Mr. Clora uh, told me, based on that same period, that his at-home deaths had increased by 150%. And so the next question we had to ask ourselves, Robin, was, well, how, where, how did this happen? And where we landed was it was an unintended consequences, uh, consequence of the stay-at-home campaign. Mm. So again, we told people, whatever you do, stay at home. The doctors and nurses had signs all over social media that said, I, I stay at work so that you can stay at home. Mm. And then to the person who, you know, no one loves to go to an emergency department or a hospital. Uh, and so to people, especially those who have this extra anxiety because of the pandemic, they're not leaving their homes, and we see that they're not coming to the hospitals when they're sick, and as a result, people are at home sicker than they normally would be, and unfortunately, some are dying. You know, it's, it's such a sad state of affairs, and I know, and I live in the greater Waterbury area, so, you know, we get the Republican American, and when the paper came a month into the pandemic, you would see all these, I mean, pages upon pages of people that had passed, but the interesting thing is if they did die for COVID, it was saying COVID, but the majority of them said natural causes. Yeah. So you have to wonder, are these the same people that we're talking about here? That, that's exactly the population wow. we're talking about, right? So, so some of those unfortunate deaths were going to be secondary to the strokes and the heart attacks, which, which otherwise may have been treated effectively and we could have prevented a death. Right. And that's why it's important that we send the message out to the community that you need to leave your homes and come when you need medical care. That's why we're resuming business as usual, if you will, at Training Health uh, New England facilities. And that's why we're investing, which we otherwise normally would not do, in communications or public service announcements that say, hey, we, we have a safe environment, come back into our facilities and let us care for you and your family members so that we don't have the increased number of, of lives published in the newspapers um, around obituaries. So early on, I think, as a, as a organization, I think Trinity Health of New England is well ahead of the curve, as I should say, the Trinity organization, right, from our mothership all across the country, in what to do with patients that we suspected were having COVID. 
instead of driving patients to have them go to our emergency room where in the past flu patients would go, we created these Fury clinics and the importance of us keeping those patients out of our emergency room so that the true emergencies could feel safe going into the emergency room and not risk the COVID infection. So maybe we can expand a little on our Fury clinics. Absolutely. So, you know, the interesting thing about this novel coronavirus, uh, there, there are multiple interesting aspects of it. But one thing is that, you know, 80% of the people who are infected by this coronavirus uh, have little to no symptoms. Uh, and I say that in an easy way to describe what that means is they don't need to be hospitalized. So eight out of 10 people do not need to be hospitalized. Um, but but the responsibility that comes along with that is guidance, right? So so this is where the quarantine or the isolation comes in. And so because they are taking this virus home or to work or wherever the case may be to their respective households or communities, uh, we need to have a way to not bring people in droves into the hospital if we suspect that they have also been infected. So we created what we call uh, fever and upper respiratory infection clinics, FURI clinics, F-U-R-I. These clinics, uh, and, and it's called a FURI clinic because those are the typical, most common complaints or symptoms, clinical symptoms, someone displays when they have the COVID-19, uh, when they're infected by COVID-19. So these FURI clinics are set up, they're scattered throughout our communities in the state of Connecticut and Southwest Massachusetts so that if someone needs to be tested or has these symptoms, the doctor's offices are closed. We don't necessarily want them or need or need for them to come into the emergency department. So they can go to a Fury Clinic. They can connect at a, at a Fury Clinic either physically or they can do it virtually. And what we can do is have a provider available for them to talk to, to examine, uh, and then we can get them a prescription for a test uh, in real time and get them tested. Or they can come in person to a Fury Clinic because the assumption is that you're walking into an environment that is not one of those COVID-free zones that we right. described earlier. Um, we can do the testing there and, and provide the medical support and guidance that they need. So that's the intent of the Fury Clinic, which is different than uh, an MGPS or Trinity Health Medical Group Clinic, which is a COVID-free zone. And that's when we do the thermometry, we do the screening and things of that nature before someone enters. So as we get back into routine and the state reopens on, on the 20th, do you see that we will keep the Fury clinics in place for a period of time and not just, it wasn't just for the surge of these patients, but maybe for a longer period of time moving forward to assist? Yeah, they will be in place just as the COVID-free zones inside of our hospitals and doctor's offices until the pandemic has totally disappeared, okay. right? So it's not, it's not convenient for us. There's extra cost to it. We're creating a duplication of services, if you will, but it's what the community needs, and it's who we are as a mission-driven, faith-based organization. I have to say, too, I was pretty impressed when we were opening the Fury Clinics uh, regionally, and we do so if, So for our audience, um, if you go on trainyhealthofnewengland.org and you click on coronavirus, what you need to know, you will see a list of the Fury Clinics, and there's two in Hartford, one in the Springfield area, and then one in Cheshire, which is part of the greater Waterbury market. And it's really important to know that our, our physicians within our medical group all volunteered for this which I thought was pretty cool. So we have, and it's seven days a week, and our medical group is fully staffing that with our, with our providers. And I think that's really impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah I, I think it really it continues to speak to 
um, who we are and what our commitment is to high quality and safe care. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, and to some degree not surprised. I want to, um, I think we're getting close to the end because I know you have another meeting. So Amy, our, our marketing guru, is sliding information for us to talk about docs. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that on some of the disparities and in our system and maybe the vulnerable populations and how we're looking to keep them safe. Yeah, um, so yeah, so around his dis, uh, disparities, I mean, it's all over the media that, that people of color have been disproportionately impacted by the virus. Um, you know, it's interesting, uh, initially uh, in the early part of the pandemic, uh, it was thought that people of color may be immune to the virus. So that was a narrative going around. And then, you know, just a few weeks later, um, the truth came out, and that is that they are at higher risk for certain reasons. It's not because of genetics. There's little evidence that it has to do with um, um, comorbidities, uh, but it's it's just this it's the current situation. So, you, when you think about things like overcrowded households, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you guys are seeing that in some parts of Waterbury. Mm -hmm. So, if you have two mm -hmm. or three generations living in a household, mm -hmm. um, and one of those people, for example, is an essential worker, so they work in a meat packing place, they work in some form of home health care, and they visit the different aspects. Um, or if, if there's uh, someone who's in prison and then released, I mean, those are hot spots, if you will, the three major hot spots in the country. And then so you have a, a, a close-knit environment where social distancing is not possible. That means the reproduction rate of this COVID virus, which normally would be anywhere between 2.5 and 3.5, meaning one person would infect 2.5 to 3.5 people. Um, all of a sudden, um, that reproductive rate can be in, in these parts of of your cities uh, can be 13 and 14. So one person can go into a household and infect the entire household. And that's, that, that's largely, from so, for socioeconomic reasons, why we see a, a, a disparity in the spread of the COVID-19. So the important thing moving forward from that is we've opened up the testing more, right? So we're testing more and more people in our community, having more testing facilities, and without it, you don't need a doctor's order. So that should help get people tested, even if, with, even if they're asymptomatic, correct? That's, that's absolutely correct. So what we're talking about doing now, and Waterbury is one of our target areas, is just like we're bringing medicine to them, we have to bring testing to them. Mm -hmm. So you, you'll probably hear real soon that, that Trinity Health of New England has partnered with uh, maybe a local FQHC like Charter Oaks, uh, and we are taking in a van to the communities that, that otherwise cannot get to the testing sites that we've set up, test. And we will be looking to do hundreds of tests in, in a variety of communities because look, this virus um, doesn't discriminate and it doesn't discriminate between you know black and white, rich or poor. Mm -hmm. And so we have the responsibility and it's a part of our mission uh, to make sure that we treat the, the most vulnerable. So we're excited about that, more to come, but we think that we'll be the leader once again in New England and doing uh, such things for those underprivileged uh, communities. So we are getting to the end. So I want to, Dr. Edie, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. You're an incredibly busy man. My husband was pretty impressed, as was my mom, that I was coming here today to interview. So I, I can't thank you enough for taking this time. And your leadership has been amazing for us regionally to get through this process as well as with system office and everything that they're providing for us I, it feels i felt incredibly safe being part of this system being a nurse 
because I felt like we were getting the most up-to-date information. Everybody had all the information that we hopefully shared with our community providers in doing so. So thank you. I want to make sure you have a chance to have a closing, a closing statement. So if you would leave our audience with something. Sure. You know, I appreciate uh, you giving credit to me and the, and the team for the work we're doing. But, you know, humbly, I'll, I'll say that we, we don't deserve the credit. I don't deserve the credit. This this comes from the great work that the sisters did in organizing Catholic health care over 100 years ago. So if anyone gets the credit, I'd say it goes to God and to the sisters who started us on this journey and we and have given us, we think, the, the support and the tools that we need uh, to continue to do the great work uh, in, in the Catholic health care space. So... I'll transfer uh, those kind words over to God and to the sisters. Thank you, Doc. Thank you so much for everything. I want to thank everyone for joining us and listening to this. It will be available on our podcast by next week. You will be able to go on Medically Speaking on iTunes and be able to listen to this. Again, if you have questions um, based on anything Dr. E and I talked about today, you can email me at robin.sills at trinityhealthofne.org, and I will reach out to leadership and make sure that we get the right information information to you. So thank you again. Everybody stay healthy, stay safe, and I will be back in two weeks.